eight years ago, uh, my oldest son was born, and the day he was born, Sydney and I bought this um, little stuffed animal. Is a little orange aardvark. We named him Andy. Andy the aardvark we thought was appropriate. And uh, we, we took this to him in the hospital, and we laid it in his crib, and we thought, man, it'd be amazing if he just kind of had something to hold on to, like, you know, just something to be important to him. And we had no idea how much our son would end up like loving this little stuffed animal. You know, you can tell he's been loved. He used to stand up straight, now he's just like this, you know? And like all the stuffing's been worn out of him. And, and to you, it's just kind of this like worthless little toy. But to us, I mean, in, in the truest sense, this little guy has become a part of our family. Like there's emotion connected to our son's love for this. And I think back, especially when he was younger, like everywhere my son went, he, he brought this little guy with him, like everywhere he went. Like if, if we went to the zoo, this little guy was right there. If we went on vacation, he was right there with him. He couldn't fall asleep. He couldn't eat a meal. He couldn't do anything unless his little pal was with him. And so I remember the, this one night in particular, Micah was about three years old and it's time for bed. We're laying him down and we're looking around uh, the room for this little stuffed animal. We call him Dee Dee. That's kind of the nickname. Sydney goes, hey, where's, where's Dee Dee at? I'm like, I don't know. So, you know, we start looking. We can't find him anywhere. We're tearing the house apart. Two minutes becomes like 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, Sydney and I are now mad at each other. We're like trying to get Micah to sleep. He's upset. He needs a stuffed animal. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you're mad at someone and they didn't even do anything. But she and I are mad and we're arguing and we're trying to find it. And she starts asking me ridiculous questions. She's like, where'd you see him last? I'm like, if I knew that, he wouldn't be lost. Like, I have, I have no idea where I saw him last. And we're looking. And then she has this moment of just revelation where she goes, she, we took him to dinner. He's at dinner. He's at Baja with us. We saw him at Baja. He was, he was at dinner. And I looked at the clock, and I'm like, man, they're about to close. So I got in the car, and I drove back across town as fast as I could. And I get there, and I see Troy, the owner. I know his name because we eat there so much. You know, I see <laughs> Troy, the owner, in the restaurant. It's locked. I'm like knocking. He's like, sorry, we're closed. And I'm like, I need in. And he lets me in. And there beneath the table where we had eaten was Dee Dee, like left in the corner under the crumbs, chips and salsa, just laid there abandoned. He'll be in counseling forever for that, you know. <laughs> And it's, it's hard to express the level of joy like I felt. Like when I saw it, I'm like a grown man in Baja, just like, oh, <laughs> thank you, Lord, you know? And, and, I, and I come home like a war hero. Like I'm like, he's been found. And, and Sydney looks at me, she's like, dang, you look good right now, you know? And, and uh, it was an amazing night. And you know, we, I, I, I come home. With, with, with Didi, and to you, you look at this, and you're like, oh, so pointless, like so worthless. It, it, it's just a toy. It's just a toy. Man, guys, guys, to us, to us, this guy matters in ways that are hard to express, so much so that like, like we'll, we'll leave wherever we're at to go looking. What I, what I love about that memory, I look back and I go, um, you know, he didn't get lost because of his rebellion. Like, he didn't pick up a drinking habit and leave our house and say, you know, forget you guys. Like, he, he got lost because he got dropped and forgotten. That's how I got lost. He didn't wander away. He didn't make the wrong group of friends. Like, he got lost because someone dropped him and forgot him. I love the story of Luke 15 because Jesus looks out and there's this really diverse crowd. It says there's tax collectors and sinners, those who were spiritually bankrupt and they knew it. There were Pharisees and teachers of the law, those who were spiritually bankrupt and they did not yet know it. And Jesus looks out at him and he says, there's all sorts of ways that people get lost, but God is in, he, he is in the business of finding and healing that which has been lost. And the only one that is better 
The only thing that is better at, at finding you than you being lost is, is the heart and the presence and the pursuit of God himself. And so Jesus begins to tell these stories to this, this group of people who are like us, just all over the map spiritually. And he, he tells the story that we looked at last week of the sheep that wandered off. The sheep that didn't mean to get lost, it got distracted, it got deceived, and all of a sudden it found itself in a place that it didn't want to be, it didn't mean to be, but it had no idea how to get home. And the sheep's lostness was defined by its ability to wander, but he turns the story and he begins to tell the story that we're going to look at this morning about this lost coin, and he's going to say, hey, unlike the sheep, the coin didn't wander away. The coin got wounded because somebody dropped and forgotten it. The coin is not where it's supposed to be, it's not where it meant to be, Based upon no fault of its own, the coin has landed in the spot that it's in. It's been wounded because somebody left it and forgot it in one of the dark places. And this is what I believe is, uh, I believe Jesus is looking out, not, not just in our city this month, but he's looking out in our church and goes, man, some of you right now, you're not where you meant to be. You're not where you wanted to be. And you're stuck in the corner, not because you wandered there, but because somebody wounded you and left you there. And Jesus says, hey, I want to bring you home. He says, I want to find you. Now, here's the challenge when we look at a story like the one we're going to look at this morning, is we live in a unique cultural moment where our cultural moment wants to push us to one side or the other. So there's this temptation to go to extremes. And on one extreme is we live in a victim culture. Are you guys familiar with that? Where, where everybody's a victim, nothing's your fault. Like, and some of us can get caught in that place of being in the victim's chair for all of our life. And kind of that, that, that victim mentality is that, you know, I'm broken and there's nothing I can do to be healed. And in a victim culture, we tend to take really small things and we blow them up into really big uh, deals in our life and we allow them to kind of shackle us. And so, you know, you go, man, Netflix isn't working tonight. I have PTSD, you know, like I need counseling. Like I'm wounded, I'm a victim, the world's against me. What's happening? Like that's what happens on one side, one extreme in the victim culture. But on the other side of the victim culture is the religious culture, which we know so much about in our city. And if, if the victim culture says I'm broken and I can't be healed, the religious culture says I'm fine and I don't need anything. And the Spirit of God speaks into the reality that we're living in. And he says, I, he says, I want you to see what God is up to. And so just like I tell stories to put my boys to sleep at night, Jesus does the exact opposite. He tells stories to wake us up to our reality, our spiritual condition, so he can bring us home. So he tells this story about a sheep, but in verse 8, look at verse 8 with me. He starts telling this story about a coin. He says, or suppose, he's done with the story about the sheep. He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents or comes home. So Jesus says, okay, maybe you don't relate to the wanderer. He says, but maybe you relate to the wounded. And he says, I wanna tell you this story about a coin that has been dropped, about somebody who has been wounded. And you have to understand why this woman is searching so frantically. She is not like a college kid searching through the couch for change so she can go to Taco Bell. She's not looking for a quarter. The original audience would have known exactly what Jesus was speaking into. This woman had lost part of her dowry price. In today's language, I think if Jesus was telling the same story, he'd say, this woman was recently engaged and the diamond fell out of her band. Missing a coin was a big deal because the the whole, the whole set was incomplete without it, and she's just frantically tearing the house apart looking for this engagement ring that's gone missing. That's, that's what's happened here 
with the coin. And here's what I want you to notice about the scene that Jesus is setting up. He looks out in this mixed crowd, this mixed audience, like so many of you, and he says, here's the deal. He says, some of you have ended up in the place that you're in because of somebody else's negligence towards your life. You've been dropped, you've been forgotten, you've been hurt, you've been wounded, and it has radically shifted the way you view God, the way you view yourself, and the way you view others. And Jesus says, I wanna bring you home. I think there's kind of two reasons we, we get lost like coins, why we get dropped. And the first is we get just lost because of somebody else's carelessness. Have you ever been wounded? Have you ever been spiritually bruised, emotionally bruised by somebody else's careless words? You know, you remember that old, um, that old kid saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never what? That's such a lie. It's like the world's biggest lie. Like, it's garbage. Like, it should be, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will destroy you and leave you with all sorts of insecurities for the rest of your life, right? Like, that's, that's the way it really goes. And some of you have been wounded because of somebody's careless words. I remember being in sixth grade. It was the week before Valentine's Day. We were in an art class, and our art teacher was helping us make a project so we could take it home for our mom on Valentine's Day. And so we were gonna make our silhouette. We were gonna trace our silhouette out on a piece of paper, write a note to our mother, and take it home, because that's what moms are into. And so she was teaching us how to do this, and she said, hey, Dave, I want you to come up to the front of the class, and I want you to turn sideways. We'll shine a light on your face, and we'll trace out your silhouette you know, on the piece of paper. And so I go up there, I'm like the guinea pig, I'm standing there and the light shines on. And one of my buddies who was sitting in the back, his name was Dale. Dale goes, dang, his nose is huge. And instantly I'm like, wait, I got a huge nose. Like, like I'm embarrassed. And my teacher, she goes, yeah, your silhouette kind of looks like a bird. And I'm like, oh, like, I didn't know that I was a part of the bird family, but I am. And and it was crazy, just that like little careless phrase, careless phrase, it's like all of a sudden, it just like changed the way I saw myself for a season. And I thought, man, when I talk to girls, I'm only gonna look them straight on, never side. <laughs> I'm at a party, I'm like walking out of the room, like keep my head straight, like. <laughs> I don't want you to see the side of my face. And, and it's just crazy, crazy what careless words. Something somebody said to you years ago, and it just, it just sits back there somewhere, doesn't it? There's things you do and you don't do because of that word that was spoken to you a decade ago. Get wounded by careless words. Sometimes it's careless words. Sometimes it's a thoughtless action. If you've ever been at home on a Friday night and you're just scrolling through Instagram and you see all of your friends are at the thing that you weren't invited to, and you go, man, it just reaffirms that narrative that I, I'm, I'm not loved, I'm not cherished, I don't belong, I'm the outsider. Have you ever been wounded by somebody else's good intentions? Your parents, man, they wanted the best for you and in, in an effort to give you the best, they both worked so hard that they never gave you themselves. And now you're 32 years old and Christmas drives you crazy because you can sit around the table and talk to your dad about sports, but he has no clue what's going on in your marriage. And there's these moments where, where we get wounded by the carelessness of others. And these wounds change the way we see God, change the way we see ourselves, change the way we see the world around us. But we're not just dropped and wounded and forgotten because of people's carelessness. Some of you are in here, you've been dropped, you've been wounded by somebody else's sinfulness. We live in a wicked world, guys. You, you know this. And for some of you, it's when your uncle exposed you to porn when you're eight years old. You weren't looking for that. 
and it became the bruise on your soul that has tainted and shaped every relationship you've been in since. It was the boyfriend that would hit you in college when you had too much to drink and you got out of that scenario, but for some reason in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s, you only tend to date guys that hit you and they get angry and you have no idea why. It was the mom who was verbally abusive. It was the dad who decided to walk out on your family to start a new family with his secretary, leaving you, your mom, and your siblings to pick up the pieces. The list goes on and on and on. There are these, these moments where we go, man, I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I wanna be. I have no idea how I got here and I don't know how to get home. And Jesus looks out in his tenderness and he says, some of you are like sheep that wandered off. He goes, but some of you are like coins that have been wounded and forgotten and left behind in the dark. And you don't know how to get back. Last week, one of my friends who's a pastor at another church, he said there's this moment after one of the services and this lady came in and she said, hey, there's a guy out in the parking lot that wants to talk to a pastor. Can you go out and talk with him? So my buddy walks out in the parking lot to meet this guy who was in his mid-50s. He, he could just tell by looking at him that this guy had lived a really difficult life. He says, hey, I heard you want to talk to a pastor. How can I help you? And the guy said, yeah, I, I need a cap for my motorcycle gas tank. And my friend, who is not the sharpest tool in the shed, he's not a therapist, it, something went off in his mind. He went, surely this guy did not drive to church to get the cap for his his gas tank on his motorcycle. He would've gone to Pet Boys or AutoZone or something. He, he looked at my friend, he, said, he looked at this guy and said, hey, I'd be happy to help you get the gas cap. He said, but is it possible that maybe you came here looking for something else? Can you tell me your story, like what's going on? And the guy just starts weeping. The guy starts weeping, he tells the story of his daughter that had overdosed and died earlier in the year, of his wife that passed away from cancer 18 months ago, of the addiction that he'd been caught in for two decades, of the abuse he experienced as a child. And he just begins unfolding this story. And my friend realizes he's standing face to face with the coin that had been dropped and discarded, left, and nobody had come looking. And this guy so desperately wanted to come into the light, but the light was terrifying. So the only thing he knew to do was to drive to a church in, hope, in hopes that the light would come to him. And he stood out in the parking lot asking for a gas cap. What he needed was a fresh touch of God. I go, guys, in a city like ours, in a place like this, every week, there, there are hundreds of you that come in this room looking for a gas cap, but what you need is a touch of God. We get in prayer time. How are you doing? Doing great. Church smile. Doing great. Doing great. Like, hey, what are you struggling with this week? Man, I just care too much. You know, I'm just too prayerful, you know. <laughs> And the Lord's saying, hey, let's, let's break down the facade. And some of you are on the other side of it going, man, I'll never find healing. I'll never get out of this. I'll never, I'll never recover. And Jesus goes, man, I'm better at healing than you are at being wounded. And I want to meet you in the middle of all of it. Here's what I love. This story is, is not a story about a lost coin. Just like last week, I believe the story was mislabeled in your Bible. It's not about the lost sheep. This story is not about a lost coin. It's not about your ability to be dropped and wounded. It's a story about a God who is more capable of finding you than you are of being lost, about a God who's more able to heal you than you are to, to be wounded. It's about a God that meets you in the darkness when you're too scared of the light. And Jesus says, I, I want you to see how I move towards you in the moments of deepest pain, deepest heartache, deepest sorrow. I don't know if you take notes, but I just want you to get a glimpse of what Christ reveals here. It's amazing to me that he says, here's how God comes after you. God comes after you like a woman goes after her lost engagement ring. To me, it is so important that Jesus 
Jesus uses a woman here to tell the story because have you, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that, that women tend to have this, this level of tenderness towards pain that men so often don't have? You know, Jesus doesn't say, a coin was lost and a general walked in smoking a pack of Marlboro Reds. He said, what needs to be fixed? Like, that's not the story. He says, a woman walks in who lost an engagement ring. Tender. You know, yesterday, one of, one of my boys, Jack, he fell at the skate park. We thought he broke his wrist. We went to the, went to the ER. He's fine. No broken wrist. Uh, but we practically live in that place. They know us by name. We walk in to the ER, and Jack and I, we have an amazing relationship. I'm close with all my boys. He and I have this great relationship, but when he is hurt, he doesn't want anything to do with me. Like, he hurt his arm like a little gimp puppy yesterday, just holding his arm, and I'm like, oh, buddy. And he's like, Dad, you're dead to me. I need my mother. Like... <laughs> He wants her tenderness. He just wanted to sit in her lap and to, and to be close. And I love this because Jesus says, how do I respond to your wounds? He says, I come with the gentleness of a woman looking for something valuable that's gone missing. The tenderness of God in your woundedness. But it's not just the tenderness of God. It's, it's the intentionality. It's the diligence. Have you ever noticed that, that so often women just tend to be better with details than guys are? If that's a stereotype that offends you, you can email me, Aaron Etheridge at ethoschurch.org. <laughs> I love to deal with any of those issues. But women just have this, they have this attention to detail. We'll lose stuff in our house. Sydney will be out of town. I'm like, hey, babe, I lost my keys. She'll know right where they're at. I'm like, you weren't even here. How'd you know? And I love this. Jesus says, how do I go after you in those places when you're in the shadows? How do I go after you in those places of wounding? It says, I come after you with tenderness, an intentionality of a woman looking for something that she values. He says, but here's how I do it. Number one, he says, I illuminate. I illuminate what has been hiding in the darkness. It's interesting. He starts by shining the light into the darkness. And this is a terrifying thought. Have you ever had one of those moments before where you've been in the dark and all of a sudden you step out of the movie theater in the middle of a Saturday afternoon and the brightness is almost offensive? You know, I'm sleeping a few weeks ago and my four-year-old shines his flashlight right in my eye and he says, Dad, my flashlight, I got it working. <laughs> and I'm like, I, my ability to punish you is about to be working as well. I know how this works. Like, the light was painful when I was in the dark. And there's some things, whether it was because of somebody else's carelessness or somebody else's wickedness, there's some things that have been hiding in the dark corners of your life for a long time. And Jesus starts by saying, I want to illuminate that. Let's talk about that thing you've been avoiding. Now let's heal that thing that you've been running for, from. But here's what I want you to hold on to is Jesus never reveals something unless he wants to heal it. He doesn't illuminate to shame. He doesn't illuminate to bring condemnation. He illuminates to heal. And he knows that in order to live into your full kingdom identity, light has to shine on the things you've been avoiding. It starts with Jesus illuminating. Number two, it continues with Jesus cleansing. He finds that coin in the corner. He wipes the, the dust and the grime and the dirt off the coin. He restores it to its intended purpose, to its original beauty. Years ago, our family was in Italy. We were looking at all this amazing artwork that was painted during the Renaissance period. And for years, when they first found these paintings, they had been lost. The painting seemed so dull and muted because the dust and the grime and the oil had all caked up, caked up on these paintings over the years. But they began restoring these paintings, just gently and slowly taking the dust and grime off of the paintings, and all of a sudden they began to come uh, to this just beautiful living color. 
I go, this is the work of Jesus. He, he illuminates. He illuminates those areas of woundedness in us. And then he begins to clean up all of the pain and the junk that has tried to attach itself to us because of the wounds in the first place. Some of you, your lives have been dulled and muted in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I wanna clean you up. I wanna make you shine, I wanna make you bright, I wanna make you bold. He illuminates, he cleans. Number three, he embraces. I love this, this moment where he grabs a coin and just, just holds it close, you know, like, a, like a, a guy in his mid-30s holding a stuffed animal in the middle of a closed restaurant just with joy. He's like, oh, I found you in your pain. I found you in your brokenness. I'm drawing you near. That a lot of times our wounds convince us that we have to stay at arm's distance from everybody because if they ever got close enough, they'd never love us. And Jesus says, no, I, I see you. I'm, I'm cleansing you and I'm bringing you close. He illuminates, he cleans, he embraces, and last but not least, he celebrates. I think a lot of times what happens when we experience wounds in life is we become convinced that we're second-class citizens in the kingdom of God and that we, we are sidelined for the rest of our lives. And Jesus says, no, I wanna bring you front and center and I wanna celebrate you in the presence of my angels. He says, because what I'm doing in you is magnificent. And whether you're wounding resulted in the careless words of a friend in sixth grade or your wounding came from an abusive uncle or a terrible spouse. Jesus says, I wanna come all the way into the shadows. I wanna bring you to life. And guys, it's, it's not just true in our church. This is true across the city. It's true across the city. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people hiding in the shadows, projecting an image because they're scared to death, whether it's because of something that's been said or something that they just felt they're scared to death that it's impossible for them to be fully known and fully loved. And Jesus says, I wanna shatter that lie. But I'm convinced before God is gonna do it in the city, he does it in this room. And before God heals people out there, he's gonna say, hey, ethos, it's time. It's just time to come all the way into the light. I remember telling one of my buddies right after we had lost Didi, like about the whole story. And he's like, why didn't you just order another one on Amazon? And I'm like, you know, I understand why you would think that, but you have no idea. Like first, Micah would know, he smells them, he knows, he knows but it's like, he's unique. And there's no replacement. And, and the reason we'd go to all that effort to find him was because of the value that he holds for us. And I love this, Jesus looks out at us, he says, he says do you know why I go to all this effort? He says, because you're the lost coin that I value. And if you're not a part of the picture, if you're not a part of the puzzle, heaven would be incomplete without you. If you were the only person ever born, Jesus would have come, he would have lived, he would have died, he would have raised from the dead just for you. That's how amazing he is and how beautiful you are in his eyes. And maybe nobody else has seen that value, but Jesus does. And I love that he tells this story about the coin because the coin is filled with such rich symbolism. You know, if you think about the two sides of a coin, on one side is the image of a king, and on the other side of the coin is the value amount of the coin. In our case, on one side is the head of the president, on the other side is the value amount of the coin, okay? And Jesus shows up in the dark places, into the places of our woundedness, and he says, I'm here to restore the image of the king in you. That when you were dreamt up in the heart of God, he didn't just make you, but he, he literally put the fingerprints of heaven in you, that you have been put on earth to reveal, to reveal the beauty of King Jesus himself. And when he swoops into the wounds, he begins to clean us up. When he embraces you, when he draws you close, what he's doing is he's polishing up the image of the king in you again. But it's not just about your image 
barrenness. It's not just about your ability to bear the image of King Jesus. On the other side of it is a value mark. And for some of you, you've spent your whole life saying, I'm only worth this much because of this thing that happened to me. But I love this, in the kingdom of God, Jesus says your value is no longer determined by your wounds, what you've done or what's been done to you. In the kingdom of God, your value is determined by the wounds of Jesus who bled and died and raised from the dead for you. Sean, how much are you worth, bro? You are worth Jesus coming all the way to earth and dying for you. Mary, how much are you worth? You're worth, you're worth the blood of Jesus purchased by God. And maybe nobody else understands the value that Jesus does. And he shows up and he says, hey, some of you got lost like sheep. You wandered away, distracted and deceived. You're not where you used to be, not where you wanna be. You have no way how to get home. Jesus says, let me carry you. Some of you like coins got dropped and left and discarded. And Jesus says, the moment you went missing, I've been on a search and rescue mission for you. I see you. Let me illuminate the pain. Let me cleanse up the mess. Let me hold you close and let's celebrate because the image of the king has been stamped on your life, the value of heaven flows through your veins and God is not yet done with you. And I believe when the church begins to understand that, we begin praying differently, we begin living differently, we begin stepping into the things differently that God has called us to do. So here's what I wanna invite you to do this morning. You know, normally we get in groups and we share and we discuss, we're not gonna do that right now. I wanna invite you to just close your eyes, to just take a deep breath. I'm gonna give you a moment to I'm just gonna give you one question to reflect on personally. And then my dear friend, Jen Barnett, who's one of our leaders here, she leads Freedom Prayer, not just in our church, but all across the country. She helps men and women pray through Luke 15 every single day. And she's gonna come up and she's gonna just help us encounter Jesus as we pray through our woundedness together. So uh, with your eyes closed, I just wanna invite you silently to ask Jesus one simple question. Here's the question. Jesus, will you show me any of the wounds that I've been carrying? Jesus, will you show me any of the wounds that I've been carrying? As you ask him that question, just pay attention to thoughts, feelings, memories, things that may flood your heart and mind. Be really careful that you don't write things off and go, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. Just ask Jesus that question a few times. Jesus, will you reveal to me any wounds that I've been carrying? We're gonna sit in this for about a minute or so and then Jen's gonna lead us in some prayer time with your eyes closed, just kind of reflecting together. Definitely don't have to hide this morning in this place. 
and resist the urge to define the wounds. That wasn't really a big wound. It shouldn't bother me like it does. It's small. It doesn't matter. Or that wound is so big and so terrible and so horrific. There's no way I'm getting out of it. Don't define it. Just allow yourself to feel the impact because the impact is what Jesus wants to speak to this morning. He is concerned with the impact and how it's distorted your identity in him. So you can pray this simple prayer right now. Jesus, I want to be found by you. Jesus, I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to rationalize this away. I want to be found by you. I choose to be found by you this morning. And when Jesus comes to rescue, when you pray a simple, brave prayer like that, he comes in kindness. He comes gently that he comes with a light. And you need not be afraid of that light. That light is not to shame you or expose you or embarrass you. That light is to light up the darkness that you've been living in. So again, just simply give him permission. You can ask him, Jesus, I want you to bring your light. I want you to light up this dark space that has had me bound, that keeps threatening me. I want you to bring your light so that I can see the difference between the darkness that surrounded me and who I really am. Jesus, bring your light. And when Jesus comes to rescue with the light, he bends low. He gets right on your level. Scripture says that he bends low. He hears your cry. He doesn't require you to get it together and come to some lofty high up place. No, he, he gets right on our level in the pit. No other God does that. So you can let him see you face to face in the middle of the wounding. And his promise every time, if you ask him, is to pull you out of the pit, to pull you out of the miry clay, to do the thing that you cannot do for yourself. So today, you can simply ask him, Jesus, I give you permission to pull me out. I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to get out myself to ignore it or somehow get myself together. I am tired of doing that. I lay down my control, my plans. They're not working. Jesus, I give you permission to pull me out. And scripture promises, and we know this to be true. When you ask him to pull you out, he does. And he sets your feet on a steady place, not in the quicksand of that darkness. You are set on a steady place with him. And in that place where you are standing steady, 
does not desire you to get pulled under again. So you can pray this really brave prayer. It is your keys to staying out of that dark, wounded place. You can simply tell him, Jesus, on the steady ground with you, I relinquish my rights for vindication, for vengeance, for payback against the person or the persons who wronged me. I give up those rights because they will keep me bound. And Jesus, I trust you with them. You are the judge, perfect in mercy, perfect in justice. I don't want that job anymore. It has kept me in the darkness. I relinquish my rights. You can do that now. You can pass them to him. He is much more capable of carrying them. And by doing that brave thing right now, you've cleared space in your heart, in your mind to know what's true. So ask him right now, as he cleans you off like that coin, as he removes the cobwebs, as he uncovers all the crime, ask him, Jesus, will you remind me what I'm worth to you? Will you do away with all the lies that surrounded me in this darkness? Will you tell me who I am? Will you restore my identity, the joy of my salvation? You were made to carry his image. Gaze upon him. We're told that we can look to him. Be reminded of who he is and how much you look like him. Jesus, will you remind me who I am? Look to him this morning and choose to be I want to invite you to stand with me right now. And you know, every week we take the communion together, and as we take the bread and as we take the cup, we're reminded that all of us, all of us need the healing touch of Jesus in our life. That as we go to the table, it's a, it's a march of grace. We, we walk there to receive something and to leave something. And so here in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to go to the table and to take the bread, to take the cup, to to come back and reflect on Jesus together, to share out loud with one another. You can talk, you can discuss areas where, you, where you've experienced the healing touch of God in your life and to pray over one another, encourage each other. Uh, in the back of the room, we have a respond banner set up. And over here to my left, your right, in the front of the room, we have another respond banner set up with men and women that uh, are trained to pray with you and to pray for you in, in moments of pain and heartache. And so, if you'd like to receive prayer this morning and you don't want to come all the way up front, I just invite you as we go to communion to go to the respond banner in the back. If you are over here and you want to receive prayer, go to the banner and just say, hey, I'm here. I need prayer. And uh, they'd love to pray with you. So Lord, would, would you just bless this time? May we meet you as we break the bread and as we take the cup. God, we thank you for the fact that when we were lost, you found us. And that even when we find ourselves stuck in lostness, that you're on the search and rescue for us now. God, would you use us, would you use us in such a way that we would turn and join you in that search and rescue in the city that you've called us to. In the name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks. Amen.